I believe the Spirit of God has a treat for you this morning. For some, it will be new information. For some, it will be um, a reminder. But nevertheless, I believe the Spirit of God has something great for you this morning. Just because of the course of my morning, I know that God has something good going for you. Praise God. All right, so while you're uh, getting your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Pastor Greg, we just got through wrapping up a series entitled The Blessing of Answered Prayer. And when we understand the importance of prayer and why we start out in this year in fasting and prayer and why it's so important that we understand and have answered prayer is because it's one of the hallmarks by which we are identified as believers. If you're a believer, you call yourself Christian, you pray and it doesn't seem like any of your prayers are ever answered God's not honoring his side of the covenant. So it's important that we realize and walk in the blessings of answered prayer and realize that when we pray, God does answer. It's not always the answers that we want, but God always answers. Okay? And so in saying that, the reason why prayer is so important to the body of believers is because God wants communion with his people, with his very creation. He wants communion. He wants us talking to him. Understand that prayer is just not about your list of wants, your list of needs, your ventings, your problems, your issues, your ailments. It's not just this list of God, do, God, do, God, do. Do, God, do, God, do, God. But it's his desire to have this constant communion with his creation. Adam was in the garden with God for some time before Eve came along to establish this one-on-one thing. Eve, Adam was asleep for some time before Eve was presented to him because I believe God just wanted some one-on-one time with his baby girl. It preceded the interaction of one another. When we're in covenant with someone, we have to develop and learn who that other person is. See, understand, we're entering into the season where we celebrate resurrection. And this is the ratification of the covenant that God established with his people. Jesus came to shed his blood, to ratify, to make good, to answer, to solidify this covenant. And in every covenant that you have with someone, there's two things that are automatic. In covenant, whether you're married, husband and wife, whether you're in covenant and buying real estate because you receive a covenant deed, When you sign a contract, you are in covenant. There are two aspects of every covenant. And those two aspects are responsibility and benefits. Every covenant comes with responsibilities and benefits. And when we pray to God and we're in covenant with God and we know and understand our covenant, God takes on the responsibility not only to listen but to answer our prayers. And it's just like God to outdo us every time because then he's full of the benefits of the covenant. In fact, he holds all the benefits. He says all the cattle, all the sheep, all the silver, all the gold, they belong to me. This earth is his creation. So he can move whatever he needs to move to get to you what needs to be gotten to you. So he holds all the benefits. But believe it or not, you have a responsibility not only just to pray, But you have a responsibility to line yourself up and be in position to receive those benefits. And believe it or not, there are things and benefits that you bestow upon God. When we praise him, we benefit him. 
When we worship him, we benefit him. When we obey him, we, benef- we give him benefits. When we proclaim the gospel, we give him benefits. When we spread Jesus, we give him benefits. When we love instead of take revenge, we provide him the benefits. So it's a reciprocating relationship, okay? And when we, let me tell you a story. When a long time ago, my son, being the rambunctious child that he is, Better stretch my hands towards my son, in Jesus' name. But uh, he's just that kid that would just press the envelope. He's going to test the waters. He's going to see how far he can go. And even as about, he was about 16, 17, 18 months old, we were at Costco's. Here's another one of my Costco trips. And we were at Costco's. I'm with my mother and my daughter as well. And they're in the basket. And I turn to get something. In the meantime, my son stands up in the basket, and all I hear is a. I turn around, and then there's this blood-curling scream that happens. And I look down. It's my son on the floor. The lady said that he just jumped out like he was Superman, decided he was going to fly. And he had hit his head on the concrete, and I knew instantly it was something serious because blood, thick, thick blood came oozing out of his ear. And so in that instant, the minister of the gospel, Rhema Grad, full of truth and knowledge, the praying all the time, speaking in tongues, prophesying and healing, flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit with a mighty ever-burning fire, zealous for the things of God, being used to minister and counsel, was scared. (laughs) So scared, I'm thinking, I had to think about it on the way here. I had the employees call 911 and I called my husband. And he's the dean of education and it was graduation time. It was in April, late April, early May and He's preparing the rehearsals of graduation. This is how, this is how serious this thing was because I remember to the moment what he was doing. Because when I called him, he said, ain't nothing I can do about it from here. Now there's a little piece of me that still want to writhe with anger <laughs> in my pinky toe. Y'all, some of y'all, I love my husband. I am married to a wonderful man, but some of y'all can't, wouldn't be able to deal with him. That's my baby, though. That's my sugar, sugar, booger, booger. (laughs) But he said, ain't nothing I can do from here. This is what I want you to catch. My first inclination was not to call on the name of Jesus. My first inclination was not to pray. My first inclination was not to stretch my hands forth. My first inclination was to call my husband. In fact, that's when Nextel was out. So I'm blowing him up. (laughs) And, you know, if you remember Nextel, if you didn't answer the little chirp after a while, you could start putting it on repeat. And they just keep on chirping until somebody responds. And I'm calling him at the same time. Why did I call my husband first? Because that's who I knew most intimately. That's who I trusted to respond in this situation. And that's who I relied upon. When you know someone, when you are in your moment of despair, when you are in your moment of pain, when you are in your moment of confusion, when you are in your moment of anger and frustration, who is the first person you call? 
real talk. A lot of us will call mama, spouse, best friend, sister, brother. That's real talk. A lot of times as saints, we haven't developed that knowing yet to understand or to have your first inclination be God. And that's what we're going to talk about because when we pray, it's one thing to pray to God because you know of, who, of him and you know, you know what he can do. Yeah, he holds the world in my, his hands. Yeah, he does. He loves me. Oh, he does love you. Nothing is impossible for him. All that is true. But if you don't know that, if you don't seize that, if you don't embrace that like that is your spouse, if you don't exist in that, he can very well be an afterthought. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, but without God is impossible, to, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Mind you, as Paul is writing, it's believed to be Paul that's writing the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews. And if he was writing this in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he was, if he was writing this in first person, if this was Jesus talking, if this was God speaking, and writing this directly, he would have said, he that cometh to me must believe that I am. And that I am a rewarder to them that diligently seek me. Understand that you must believe. Now, God's not into proving that he exists. If you can't wake up in the morning and see the sun shine and to know he exists, you on purpose decided to be stupid. If you woke up in the morning and you, and you cannot figure out and you witnessed the conception, the pregnancy, and the birth of an individual, of a baby, but then want to deny that God exists, you just decided to live a life in total ignorance. So God wasn't trying to, in his statement, say, must believe that I exist. He says, I need you to believe that I am. I am. He further substantiates that, that I am a rewarder to them that diligently seek me. So this message, the name of this will be I am. And I want to introduce you, reintroduce you, reacquaint you to further uh, strengthen the names of God. Okay? Understand that when he says I am, he announces himself just as he did back in Genesis. When, when Moses says, Genesis and Exodus, when Moses talks about who shall I say that you are when, um, when I go before the Israelites, because you're calling me to go before these people. These people don't know me. I ain't been around them in 40 years. And the last time they saw me, shoot, they was ready to put me under. Who could I say that you are? I need some authority. And he says, tell them that I am. And when he says to tell them that I am, he basically saying, Tell them that I am the all-existing one. I am the one that is everywhere. I see everything. I know everything. And I can be what I need to be for my people. So when we're talking about the names of God, turn with me. I'll read this to you. Psalms chapter 148, stanza 13. It says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and the heavens. 
there's a lot of emphasis in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament about the name of God. In the Old Testament, it's the names of God. In the New Testament, it is the name of God, Jesus. Because all the names of God in the Old Testament is capitalized into this one name called Yeshua, Jesus. So as we learn all these names of God in the Old Testament, we can better understand the name of God and why it's so important to pray in the name of Jesus when we do pray. Understand that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. A lot of people want to err on the side of the Old Testament does not apply to us. Not so. A lot of the Old Testament applies to us. Jesus came to do away with the law. The law. Those 600, how many are there? Come on now. Well, we know at least 613, but 600 some odd laws. Jesus came to do it, and he said, I came to fulfill the law. But mind you, his commandments are very much alive. His precepts and his principles are very much alive. It's just that they carried over in this snapshot called Jesus. Okay? So a lot of the Old Testament, I want to say that to substantiate why we're spending time in the Old Testament to talk about the names of God. Because when we understand the breakdown, then we can further understand what the power, of the, the power that's in that name called Jesus. Okay? And when Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, all he did was he satisfied all that the law required. Now when I was uh, in, in Michigan actively doing real estate, we had a huge transaction. It was a huge transaction of land and, and residence. And so it made me have to be a lot more diligent about reviewing every piece of paperwork. And so I'm going back and I'm reviewing the title. And that title was some pages long. Because when you buy property or buy real estate, you obtain a title. And the best title would be a, a warranty deed or a warranty title. And then there's covenants. And in those covenants, there are certain rules and things that you'll get with this title. And because this property and this land, it was mostly land, that's what they were after. This land had been around for so long, it had switched hands for so long, it had had a history, a long history of conveyance from one person to another. And one of the covenants was that thou shalt not sell this property to any Negro. This was in 2005. It was still in there. No one looked to say, oh, we need to find a way to get, out, get this out of here. But because there were laws that came along afterwards, and because you had people that helped to enact laws afterwards, they satisfied that law by making it null and void. Do you understand what I'm saying? A modern-day example of what Jesus did. Jesus came and satisfied it. So basically, all the, the people, all the civil rights movements, and all the laws that were enacted a, later on made this avoidable law. In other words, it was not applicable. Now, someone could pick it up and work it out and try to make it, enforce it if they wanted to, but it wasn't going to hold water once you took it through the test of litigation. So you could operate in the law of sin and death if you want to, you could operate in the law, in the, in the Old Testament laws if you want to. But after it goes to, through the process and the litigation of righteousness and grace, 
you'll find that it doesn't get you where you want to go anyway. Okay? So with that being said, there's power in, this, in these Old Testament names that's all relegated to this one name, Jesus. Okay? So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to talk about this one, give you this one scenario. Now, most of y'all know me, right? If you saw me at the mall somewhere, some of y'all might say something. Somebody didn't say anything. Let me go through my whole process and wait to the very, very end. It could have been embarrassing if I decided to do something bad. But praise God, I'm righteous. I'm in him. But anyway, if you all saw me at the mall, most of you would say, hey, aren't you Pastor Trish? And I say, yeah, hey, how you doing, sugar? I might not recognize you initially, but most of you would recognize me, right? Especially if you've come here before and you've been here for a while. So most of you would say, you know who I am, okay? Right? And most of you say, I might know who you are, I might not, but we have a common ground, right? So, Chris, we know each other, right? We ran together. We, we, we know each other, right? Know a little bit about your family, those family vacations and everything, right? <laughs> okay, so she knows me, but there's limits to our relationship. She knows me in the realm of our church and spiritual guidance and stuff, but there's other facets of her life that she doesn't really or has not invited me into, per se. So if she needed $10, you'd probably feel comfortable asking me for $10, wouldn't you? Yeah. $10 is kind of simple, right? So it's easy to ask me for $10. More than likely I have it. And because she knows me and she knows I know her, she can be, feel kind of confident that I give it to her. Wouldn't you? Okay. So now let's up the ante. You need 100 You need $500. <laughs> Your car broke down. You need a new transient. And, and, and you, you only got like $250, but you need $500 now. Would you think about asking me for 500? She might be an email. Because <laughs> she'd have to explain it. See, what had happened was, and this is where it was, so, but I promise I'll get it back, I'll get it back to you when, but da 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 right? But you'd have to think about it a little bit more, right? Now, but we know each other. Do you know that I have it? Would you know that I would probably, more than likely, in your category of people that would have $500, disposable $500, she'd say, uh, you'd probably think that I have it, right? <laughs> but do you think I would give it to you? You don't know. Okay. Now, let's up the ante a little bit more. Because she got a major situation going on. And if she don't get this set up within 10 days, she's facing perhaps 30 days in jail and a $250,000 fine. So she needs $5,000. In Jesus' name, that will never happen to you. All your ways are clear. Your pathways are made straight in Jesus' name. But now you need $5,000. Real quick, who are you going to call for $5,000? Her brother. Why? She knows he has it, and you feel comfortable asking him about it, and you're pretty confident that he'll give it to you. I gave you $10, though. <laughs> you wouldn't call me? I'm here. Your brother not here in Atlanta? You 
anyone call me? Because what? For $5,000. It's a lot. It is a lot. You ain't laughing. And I don't know if I'd give it to you, but you wouldn't call me? <laughs> I'd write you a long email on that one. <laughs> but would you think I had $5,000? You think I would have $5,000? But the level of the relationship dictates you call your brother and not me, right? That's exactly how we treat people, and that's exactly how we treat God. We have this knowing that yeah, God owns all the cattle on the land. He owns all the cattle on the thousand hills. All the silver and gold is in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing too great for my God. He is the God of the impossible. He moves heaven and earth on my behalf. I'm his child. Yeah. <laughs> but because of the confidence and the strength and the bond of our relationship, we would be reluctant. And I have to admit, I didn't think because I, even at that stage of my life, 13 years ago, I can honestly say, looking back, I didn't know as much as I knew, but nor did I trust God to the level that I needed to trust him, whereby he would be my first line of contact in a critical situation. And a lot of times, we treat God as an afterthought, not because we don't believe he can or will do it, but because of our own condition and our relationship We think it's just easier for a pastor, would you pray for me? Because I know your line goes straight to him and not to voicemail. But there is so much more power in your words to God than our words on your behalf to God. Because he took rid of, he got rid of the priest going in on your behalf. He is the priest that went in on your behalf. John chapter 14, let's start at verse 6. says here, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now Philip, 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 Philip. There's always one, isn't there? There's always somebody, that one person, I always got something to say. That always want to be the devil's advocate or the one that's always got the statement that says, I'm just saying. <laughs> Here's Philip. Want to keep it 100. Want to keep it real. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that'll suffice us. <laughs> Jesus said, dude, for real? <laughs> like, for real? You really need asking me that? For real? Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you don't know me? Philip, he that has seen me, don't you know you've seen the Father? So how could you say then, show us the Father? Who do you think you are? Dude, you saw the Father when you saw me. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto me, I speak unto you. I don't speak of myself, but I speak from the Father, because the Father dwells in me, and he does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, just in case you didn't know, sucker. (laughs) Or else believe me for the very works sake. Dude, if you don't want to believe just the words that I say, at least believe it because of the works that you've seen that you've never seen done before. You've seen the blind see. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen the dumb talk. Come on now. You've seen the possessed, unpossessed. You've seen those that were captive set free. At least believe because of the works sake. 
But then you dare say to me, show me the Father and that'll suffice? So that tells me that you've been traveling with me, you've been sleeping with me, you've been eating with me, you've been listening and communing with me, yet you still don't trust who I am. And that was Philip who tangibly handled Jesus. Now consider you. We know him by the Spirit. But how often do we go to church? No, not anybody here because all of us have a very intimate relationship with God and we could call him, call fire down from heaven right now. It'll show up, zoom. No one here. But how many of you know people that's been in church all their lives? Every conference, every men's day and every woman's day, every breakfast and every lunch and every dinner. Every prayer, every fasting can quote scripture left and right. They take pride in knowing to, how to speak the entire Psalms, all 150 books of it. They can recite to you the entire book of John and the entire book of Philippians, the entire book of Luke and the entire book of Revelations by heart. They ain't got nothing on the book of Eli. They are the book of Eli. If you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yet, haven't known him. Haven't known him and the beauty of his holiness. Haven't held him in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Haven't received him in the peace that's given to us by a sound mind, haven't operated in him, trusting him beyond our own understanding. There are some people that know of him and that can recite the words, but haven't known him. Just as recent as 14, 13, 14 years ago, that was me pride in graduating in the first of my class in Bible school. It was my mission to know the whole book of Philippians by heart. I accomplished a lot knowing every book of the Bible in order and knowing the big bold letters that was associated with it. But haven't known him haven't experienced his power, haven't experienced the comfort, haven't experienced his Shekinah glory. And a lot of times when we're in prayer and we want God to manifest himself in our lives, we want it from a mental ascension state because we know it, but we're sort of in this wait and see mode. Let's wait and see. Let's see. Sort of a, let's throw the Dice, let's see if it lands the, way I, lands the way I need for it to land. We're in this, all right. Well, we already know from what Pastor Gregory's minister, James chapter 1, if you believe, you can't be swayed. You can't be double-minded in your believing. But that comes with knowing him. But the reason why we don't get to know him is because we won't let go of our own comfort zone. All right, names of God. First one, Jehovah. Jehovah. 
That's all capital words, L-O-R-D, Jehovah. Also in the Hebrew, Yahweh, W-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. Old Testament times, it was very important that the name of a person was associated to who he was. People were named for different reasons in the Old Testament. We know this. Nahor, the fool that was Abigail's husband, for those of you who read your Bible and really remember the stories when David was trying to cross over some land to get to the other side and his uh, rush, leaving, uh, getting away from Saul, he took care of this man's land. And when he took care of this man's land to make sure that nobody came and stole from it or trashed it, he had to cross through it. So he asked Nahor, hey, I need some food, some drink, and please allow us to cross the land. Nahor said, no, you're not getting nothing from me. Who do you think you are? But Nahor's name was, that name meant fool. Fool. And surely that's what David came back and prophesied. You just like your name. You are a fool. Therefore, God's going to deal with you, and you'll be dead this time tomorrow. Fool. Jacob, his name was cunning, meant cunning, or sort of like jokester. That's why God had to rename him to be Israel, the deliverer of your people. We all know Abraham, his name was Abram. But he said, dude, you're talking too contrary to what I told you you were going to do. So from now on, your name is going to become Abraham, the father of many nations. Because our name can be a proclamation of who we are. That's why you ought to take seriously what you name your child. I know it's fashionable. Some of these names are just seems, you know, in style, seems kind of sweet. You know, I understand that. But please know what you're naming your child. I knew from a, from a young, I was a t teenager, I think 13, 14 years old, I knew my name Patricia meant noble one. I knew my name Elizabeth meant God is my oath. My last name, I couldn't, they couldn't choose that. Last name was Davenport, so it means couch. Can't do nothing about that. <laughs> so the Old Testament names meant something. So when you can identify with somebody's name, you then start to, when you understand who they are and what that name possesses, then you feel comfortable, you know, I'm offended, Crystal. You know, I got 5,000. I could hook you up. <laughs> no, I'm glad. Don't ask me for $5,000. <laughs> uh, but when we know that, when we, are, when we have an identifier, when we know and are confident on who that person is, it makes us more inclined to go to him or go to them based off of who they are. So when we know God and who he is and what he possesses, and we understand that intrinsically and very intimately, then it behooves us to approach him that way, fully confident, not only that he wants to hear me, but he desires to fulfill my request, that he desires to act on my behalf, that he desires to, to, to move and, and fulfill his side of the covenant. Because when he benefits us, it's only natural that we turn around and benefit him. Amen? So when he says that I am Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 9, he, and, 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 and in Exodus chapter 3 when he talks to Moses, he's saying, I am who I am. I am all existing one. I know, I see, and I am everywhere. I desire to be the fulfiller of any situation. There's nothing beyond my ability. When you know him as Jehovah, Lord, all capital words, you know that he creates something out of nothing. 
You know that he can stand time still on your behalf. You know that he could take the worst of situations and work it out for your good. You are confident of what he can do for you when you understand that he is Jehovah, all capital letters. And because some people erred on the side of, um, that came the word Adonai. Now, Adonai is capital L, small o-r-d. And when he's Adonai, he's, he's, he's now just, he's master. He's commander-in-chief, but that's, there's some distance between master and commander-in-chief to the all-existing one, where everything that is around you exists because of me, when you move and live and have your being in me. Knowing him as Jehovah and all the names that go with that is a little different from Adonai. And some of us are stuck on Adonai and haven't graduated to Jehovah. Because where Adonai was... It was, it's there for the Gentiles to refer to. Because, you know, the Jews, the Hebrews, his name was too great for them to utter. They took literally not saying the Lord's name in vain, so they wouldn't utter it. Which is why it's simply four letters, J-H-W-H, because they couldn't utter it. So to give, you know, they would say, they, they would err on the side of Adonai so, so as to, reverence the name of the Lord, but it was relegated more so, so for the Gentiles. So when we understand that he is all-knowing, all-seeing, he is there to give deliverance to his people, forgiveness for his people, and guidance to his people because he sees and knows all. We understand that he is the capitalization of everything around us. Just starting there is good. I can't hit every name of God, but we're going we're gonna to put put, make sure you know at least three or four of them real good, starting with that one. I am that I am. The next name of God that I want to talk about is Yahweh Jireh. Yahweh, i.e. Jehovah Jireh. J-I-R-E-H. Jehovah Jireh. Genesis chapter 22. Turn there with me. Genesis 22. Verse 14. And this is after God told Abraham... To go and take your only son, your miracle child, from you and Sarah, and I need you to sacrifice him on this mountain. And so Abraham does what Abraham does. He obeys. He takes up all the instruments and equipment needed for the sacrifice, and he goes up this mountain, just he and his child. The child, in the meantime, he ain't no one or two-year-old kid. I think he was like, what, 8, 9, 11 years old? About 13 years old? all over the place, but he was older. He was big enough to fight for himself. He was old enough to think for himself. He was old enough to articulate himself. And he's like, Dad, where is the sacrifice? He says, the Lord God, he'll provide a sacrifice, not even realizing what he was saying. And so they go up, and he binds up his son and everything else, and I think that would take some faith on the child's behalf because if you binding my son up, he fighting you. But anyway, I ain't even going to go there. Uh, He binds his son up. He lays him on the uh, the altar, and he's getting ready to sacrifice, kill his son. And when he d- lifts his hands up to do the final act, God says, all right, Abraham, I believe you. I believe you, Abraham. Okay, I can trust you. God tells Abraham, I can trust you. God has to be able to trust you just as much as you have to trust him. He has to trust you that you will trust him. 
And he says, I trust you, Abraham. Stop. And Abraham stops. And this is where he says in this verse 14 right here. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In other words, Jehovah-Jireh, we say God is our provider, but it means that he sees all. He sees what we need before we express it. So before Abraham even realized he was going to need another sacrifice before his son, he had a ram in the bush. He had a ram caught in a thicket by his horns over there. And it's just like God to not only want us to trust him enough to sow into him, but he has his way of providing the source by which we sow. And he tends to do it big. Because mind you, God did not give Abraham some turtle doves to sacrifice. He didn't give him some pigeons to sacrifice. There's some symbolism that's associated with those sacrifices, but nevertheless... He didn't ask him to sacrifice. He didn't provide a doggone mule over there. He gave him a big old husky caught in the bush ram. And so is he with us till this day. Being Jehovah Jireh, he sees us in our weakest moments. He sees us in our needs. He sees us in our despairs. He sees us in our ups and he sees us in our downs. He sees us in our highs. He sees us in our lows. And all he requires is that we come to know him as Jehovah Jireh. God, you see what I'm going through. God, you see this experience. God, you see how overwhelmed I am. God, you see what you did for me on this situation. I can't help to act a fool and praise you. So just please don't cause these people to think I'm crazy. God, you see that I have need over here. And if you embrace and really capitalize on what, on the knowledge that he sees me. Because some of us, if we walked and operated in the knowledge and the revelation that he's there with us and he sees us, if he's there, he sees. We wouldn't do half the stuff that we do. But I want you to understand this. Because, you know, in recent years of church, of church, we want to, we sing and we belt out tunes of Jehovah Jireh, and he is our provider. But understand that in this context of what Abraham did and his declaration of him being all seeing, it came off the heels of him obeying. There is a counteracting response to God, to Abraham, when Abraham obeys. And in the faith world, we could get so caught up of if I do A, B, and C, step one, two, and three, then God should just show up and have a ram in the bush, and there I can go ahead and do what I need to do to get by. Supernatural debt cancellation. While the credit cards are still very much alive, and I can go and charge some more. It came off the heels of Abraham's great obedience. And mind you, The greater the need or provision, the greater the obedience in often cases. And it's not going to come the way we always want it to come. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But God does not meet us according to what we want him to do. He sees the end from the beginning. That's why they say sometimes you've got to be careful what you ask for. 
there are some things that need to be put in place to get you to that place. It's going to mean you're going to have to step outside of a comfort zone and change the way you embracing him for who he is and not simply what you know about him. So Jehovah Jireh being the one who sees all, the one who is able to respond, the one who literally knows our needs before we even know them, therefore has a supply for us right then and there. Amen. Next one, Jehovah Rapha, R-A-P-H-A, Jehovah Rapha, Yahweh Rapha. Exodus chapter 15, if you would turn there with me. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He says here, and I had to go digging into this, because I'm like, God, you don't put sickness or disease on anybody, but I had to dig into it. And said in verse 26, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And when you look up the word put, that's how deep you sometimes got to get when you're talking about studying the Bible. Sometimes you got to look up the, is, put. It literally means to release in the Hebrew. It literally means to, to set apart. It literally means to establish. So it, 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 instead of God putting the disease on them, God releases himself from the situation so the enemy can come in. Do you understand the difference? So then, with that being said, he's saying here that I am the Lord that healeth thee. And a lot of times we profess and confess Jehovah Rapha, and the healing is for our physical nature. But understand that God doesn't only, he's not limited. In fact, he's more interested in healing your mind than he is your body. Both of them are very important to him, but he's very interested. He's very committed to the healing and the resurrection and the the, the reestablishment of your mind and of your thinking. One of the first things that you're asked to do that he wants you to do in your salvation act is to repent. Now, that doesn't mean you go through this long list of sins. I did this. Check. My husband, blesses his heart, he told me when he got saved and born again, he went through a, a, the most recent list of all the wrongs he had done to people and went back and apologized to all of them. Bless his heart. I didn't do that. I'm like, only God can judge me. No. But, so it doesn't mean that, but repenting simply means to change the way you think. Turn 180 degrees away from your previous thought process to a new way of thinking. Therefore, you can receive me in the truth of who I am. And when we do that in our minds, it helps us to now say, okay, heal my body. Because oftentimes, more often than not, the result, the physical results, the physical issues of our body are simply a result of the mental issues that we've been dealing with. So when he says that I am Jehovah Rapha, he says that I am here to heal and preserve your body by curing all sickness and disease, not only in your physical body, but also in your soul by pardoning all of your iniquities. Can you get that? 
can you get that all of your shortcomings God has pardoned? All your wrongs God's not thinking about it? All your issues God sees you as more than a conqueror? All of your hurts and pains God sees you as victorious? Can you really get that? I mean, especially when you, you know, Pastor Gregory talked about Jesus when he was dealing with a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And I ministered a message a long time ago with that, you know, and I, I learned in the whole reading and all this stuff, some study, that when Jesus bent over, it was tradition when you were being judged and you didn't want this thing to be of open record, you would write the name and an associated sin or wrong in the ground. And then it would be wiped away. That was symbolic of you being innocent. So when Jesus, when those people, those men come and they accuse this woman and they catch her in a very act of adultery and it said that Jesus stooped down and he's writing in the dirt. Doesn't talk about what he's writing, but that was their custom. And it said that each man walked away starting from the eldest to the youngest. Because oftentimes the eldest would be the one, first one charged because he should know better. Because you have more dirt on you than anybody. So they walk away, one, the oldest to the youngest, because that was their custom. And, and the, the judge was sort of like, do this. Can you really get past the fact that dad never came to see you? But yet know that you can be loved wholeheartedly by someone. Can you really get past how you treated that person because you were in your feelings or some kind of way, but God's not thinking about it? Can you really get past how someone hurt you and betrayed you and they were your best BFF and they betrayed you? But yet God says, I need you to trust me so that I can trust you get past trusting others because I'm the one that keeps you. Can you get past that? That's the Jehovah Rapha that you need to get to know. Amen. Next one I want to talk about is Jehovah Nisi. This is a good one. Nisi. Not the name. We all know a Nisi. (laughs) Jehovah Nisi. N-I-S-S-I. And that's strictly the Lord is our banner, according to Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, he says, the Lord is our banner. And what's going on here is that Moses is about to, they're about to cross over to the promised land. Hallelujah, 40 years has passed. We were coming up on the end of the 40 years. They're about to enter into the promised land. But in order to get there, they've got to go to war with the Amalekites. And as they're going to war with the Amalekites, Moses is at the top of the mountain, and he has to lift up his hands because they figure out that when my hands are lifted up, whether it's a sign for submission, whether it's a sign for surrender to God, whether it's a sign for victory, when my hands are lifted up, my people, because Joshua and them, are they're down there going at it. But when my hands are lifted up, they're winning. But when I get tired and my hands come down, they're losing. So Aaron, his brother, and her come along and they hold up his hands, realizing that as long as hands are lifted up, we're winning. And they hold up his hands, and after the Israelites defeat the Amalekites, they build an altar there, 
And they said this is Jehovah Nisi because we lifted up the banner of war. We lifted up this banner that proclaimed God. And when we gathered under his banner, we became victorious. When we gathered and came in unity under, when we worked together under his banner, we won. We defeated the enemies of the land, and therefore we were able to cross over into our promise. How is that associated with you? They could have erected another banner called Moses, because he was at the top of the mountain, right? We team Moses. Joshua's on the battlefield. He was in charge of the army. They could have lifted up a banner Moses, I mean banner Joshua. They could have lifted up a big old banner that had Israel, son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, they lifted up a banner, said Jehovah Nisi. It was under this here going before that they were able to proclaim this victory. When we say the Lord is our banner, we say that he goes before us and we follow him. We don't go before God and ask him to follow us. All too often, we, are, we get caught up in our requests so much, in our list of desires, that we want God to bless us in our doing, but God simply says, no, do what I'm blessing. But yet we, 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 I want my way, I want you to do it this way, this is the way. This is how it needs to be done, God, because you know I got this deadline, and you know what I'm dealing with, and we want to tell God how he needs to do it. But he says here, I am Jehovah Nisi. I'm the one that goes before you. Any favor that you need, I can set it up before you arrive on the scene. I'm the one that's your banner. You gather up under me, and I make it happen. But dude, I didn't create you to be submitted to you. I created you to be submitted to me. And so when we allow the Lord to be our banner, when we allow him to go before us, when we allow him to rise above us, especially in the spirit of unity, especially in the spirit of togetherness, he says, I I have this way of making your enemies, the best of your enemies, fall before you. In fact, so much so that I'll hold the sun still on your behalf. He says that when we lift up the banner of Jesus, he becomes our hope and our focal point, not the adversary. When we lift up the banner of Jesus, he becomes our hope and our focal point, not the adversary. And where our hope and our focal point is him, he therefore can empower us to do what we need to do in working together to champion any effort. Because it's easy to be discouraged when you're looking at one another. Mind you, Moses was up on a mountain. They're fighting in the valley. They didn't have Joshua hold up the dog, his hands. They had to look up from whence their help came. Amen. And this last one I'm going to talk about, there's several, but this last one I'm going to talk about is Jehovah Shabbat. Jehovah Yahweh Sabbath. That's spelled S-A-B-A-O-T-H. S-A-B-A-O-T-H. And this one I love. Now, 
all of them are in the Bible a few times, and most, you know, all the names of God, especially uh, him being the all-existing one, Yahweh, Jehovah itself, is in the Bible a lot of times. But the third or fourth, the second or third number of times that this name is mentioned in the Bible exceeds about 200 or so. And its reference in the New Testament exceeds about, exceeds 100 times being mentioned. Because here, Jehovah or Yahweh Sabbat literally means the Lord of hosts. Well, what does the Lord of hosts mean? Eh, that's not telling me anything. And sometimes we can just hear something and say, oh, yeah, Lord of hosts, and not even know what Lord of hosts mean. But here he says, I am the God of war. Jehovah Sabbat means I am the God of war. So when he says to avenge not for I avenge, he says I am the Lord of hosts. When he says bless your enemies, I am the Lord of hosts. When he says to, uh, uh, to, to overlook a transgression, I am the Lord of hosts. When he says, hey, submit anyway even to the forward, I am the Lord of hosts. He says I go before you and I fight your war for you. When you gather under Jehovah Nisi, he says, I make it good in the earth and I fight. I just need you to get out the way. He says, Jehovah basically is that rock that cannot be moved. When he says that I am the God of war, he says that not only of the carnal, but also of the spiritual. In other words, he has in his camp natural people and angels. So even when Someone who needs to obey, don't obey. He has a way of putting angels in the, in, in the midst of us and making it go down. God says, when, when, uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. And we know Isaiah was dealing with some serious issues during this time. And he says here, Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tent. In other words, he's saying, who, who was his enemies? It was people that were fighting against his people. Anybody who comes against you takes a position, especially when you are walking upright before him, when your heart's endeavors to please him in all things, when you're standing in your faith, amen, when people are attacking you because of who you stand for, when you tell them, no, I don't get down like that anymore, and they want to say you're gay or you, you this and that or whatever, when people call you weak or a punk because you say, I'm not sleeping with nobody until I get married, hello, when you take a stand and you desire to establish a standard and they come against you, people who come against you in that effort, even if they're believers, put themselves on the other side of God. And God says, don't worry about it because the way God handles it, he handles it in a way where he still gets glory. He handles it in a way by which he still gets glory. So anytime you take a position for God and people come against you, had a testimony talking with one of the uh, 
family members here, and, and the, the auntie got saved here quite some time. She thought she was coming for a baby dedication, ended up getting born again, was brought out of, decided, came out of the Catholic church, and that's all she had known all her life. And I'm not talking about a 20-year-old. I'm talking about a 50-, 60-year-old woman. All she had known was Catholicism, gets saved here, Spirit of God deals with her. She leaves her Catholic church and left her husband there. Goes find a spirit-filled word church, and she, she's learning, she's getting involved, and she's entrenched in the word of God, and there's this here fervor, and there's this zealousness that just, she, she just can't, she just couldn't, couldn't quench, which is a good thing. And then something happens where she needs knee or hip replacement. And in needing knee or hip replacement, um, the doctor shows her the x-ray and says, well, you know, uh, th- th- this is what we got to do to ha- get this surgery. She gets the surgery, comes back for a follow-up, notice that one leg is shorter than the other. She's hurt, and she says, well, I'll wear heels or whatever until it corrects itself. The doctor says, no, ma'am, it's not going to correct itself. Now, her sister, who's a member, uh, attends here, was there with her, and the man says to her, ma'am, it's just going to be like this. This is the way it's going to be. The sister the member that's here, says, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Her body will be healed and she'll be stronger than what she was before. And from what the story that I was told was that, you know, she was just standing in faith for her sister so that her faith would remain strong. Because she, she, immediately she saw that she was in despair and hurt. And as they were leaving, the story was told to me that as they were leaving, the, the sister that said, no, that God, Jesus is going to heal this. The doctor says to her, some things even Jesus can't fix. Oh, it's on and popping now. What? 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 Oh, you don't want to put yourself on front street with my God. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. And as she's telling me the story, mind you, we're in the public space at my kid's school, and she's telling me the story, and I'm squirming in my chair. And I said, the man said, what? She said, yes, he did. He said, some things even Jesus can't fix. But instead of her letting that take her off, she got mad. She got mad and was determined in her faith. She got mad and was built up in her belief. And she was stronger than ever. That was a substitute doctor. So they wanted, because the news wasn't, was so serious, they wanted her to come back to meet with her, the original doctor. Come back to meet with the original doctor. From what the story, I can re, uh, relate from the story, they have another set of x-rays. So you got this set of x-rays that says your leg is shorter than one another. They ordered a new set of x-rays. I think it was a week or two weeks later. Not long later. And it was all evened out. When he says he is a God of war, you put him on front street, he's going to fight your battles. He's going to stand in your stand. He's going to take care of the naysayers. He's going to stand for your faith only because he seeks to be glorified in all this. He says that I have a responsibility to provide a benefit. And when I provide a benefit, it's your responsibility to give me the praise. So I am committed to fight your war. I'm committed to go before you. I am committed to stand in your stand. I'll take care of it. When he said, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, he meant it. He meant it. 
he said he ain't slack, y'all got to go back and look at that. That is a pronunciation of he ain't no punk when it comes to his promises. Forgive me for not being religified and all dignified and everything, but he's not. He's not weak when it comes down to delivering and fulfilling your faith. But some things have to come. When Jesus said that healing for that little boy came by, came by prayer, some things come by prayer and fasting. What was revealed to me in that, in that passage of Scripture when we was talking about the healing and the little, and the father said, I believe, but help mine unbelief. Pastor Gregory did a great job teaching on that, but we, talk, we got into this here revelation type of discussion when we got home because what God showed me was the healing wasn't a fasting and prayer issue. Yeah, we know that it was a faith, but whose faith? He had to overcome the doubt and the fear of the Father. And sometimes we can have such an intimate relationship with our doubt and our fear. We know that he can do it. We have this notion that he's done it before. We've heard the testimonies. We know what the Word says, but because we're not intimately involved in this God that will war on our behalf, because we're not intimately seeking him, Understanding that there's a reward the deeper we go into him. Jesus said, some things got to come by fasting and prayer. In other words, it has to come because we got to get you delivered from your own unbelief. Check this out. Even the unbelief that you don't know you have. Even the unbelief that you know. I'm, I'm about to preach myself ugly up here. Makeup about to be all over the place. You get that? So who is he? I'm going to end right here. Luke chapter 11. Let's bring it all the way back to the New Testament. Talking about prayer. And understand to whom you are praying. And understand what kind of expectation you go into that prayer with. And understand that not only do, am I praying because I'm communing with you, but I'm confident in who you are. And I'm confident in what you can deliver. I love you so much, so I want to just be with you. So if I'm just telling you how my day went, for no other reason but to let you know, I'm become more intimately involved with who you are. And to know you is to love you. And to love you then becomes I'm able to trust you. And as I trust you, I know you have a way of manifesting yourself when I step into the unknown. So when Jesus was asked, how do we pray? Father, teach us how to pray, just like John was teaching his disciples how to pray. And this isn't the prayer to pray as much as it is the formula by which we should pray. And he says to him in verse 2, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. What is that next word? Next, Hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. That name is Lord Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D. Hallowed, set apart, dignified, all-powerful, self-existing, creative one. Everything you possess, you have access to. Covenant, redeemer, hallowed, all these names that I haven't even mentioned. There's like 15, 16, 17 of them. We counted four. We just did four. Hallowed be 
your name that's all capsulized in this one name, Jesus. Which is why when we pray, it's so important to pray in the name of Jesus because that right there validates that we acknowledge to whom the power has been made available, by whom the power has been made available. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven as it is on, uh, will be done as in heaven, so in earth. So when we pray and when we understand the name or the, the identifier or who he is, and we become saturated in that, it makes us easier now to go to him and say, Father, you are Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals me from the inside out. And I'm confident of your healing power because you've manifested that in me before, whether it was a cold, a sneeze, or some allergies. And I'm so acquainted with your power. I'm no longer seeking the sensitivity of my allergies and making people serve my allergies or my shortcomings. But Father, I thank you for healing me. And you become more confident. When I met Joel Gregory, you see us today, 18 years of marriage, praise God. Uh-huh. But that's, that's my honey, that's my baby, I miss him. Anyway, um, you see us 18, year late, 18 years later, he's chasing me, I'll show chasing him. And, but when I met him January 1st, 1995 at 12.05 in the morning, I knew his name, I knew he was a minister. At this point, I knew he was single before I thought he was married. But he's single. I knew some things about him. Didn't quite like him. He was abrasive. But anyway, didn't like him at that point. But I was interested. And some of us in our faith were interested in God, but we haven't embraced knowing him. And I went from being interested to now communing. As I commune with him, I grew to like him. As I grew to like him, I wanted to commune with him more. As I'm communing with him more, I fall in love with him. As I love him now and I'm communing with him even more, then we commit to a relationship. And as I'm communing from the relationship, I'm communing with him more, uh, we now enter into marriage. And I'm communing with him more. I'm getting to know him more. When I first met him, I didn't know him as friend. I didn't know him as my minister. I did not know him as boyfriend, husband, father, covenant partner. I didn't know him as any of that. But as the more we communed, the more time I spent with him, the more intimate our relationship became, which is where we can, why I can stand here fully confident in my husband and him fully confident in me, honoring the covenant that we have with one another and in Christ because of the time, commitment, and communion that we've had with one another. God is the same way. We live in a day and age where people, with electronics is capital. And though you might not be able to physically sit up there and look at God's face or physically handle him, as Philip did, yet still didn't know him, I like to think of the relationship as a textual relationship. You know, my kids, 14, 15 years old, they don't talk on the phone no more. Y'all remember back in the day? You begged to get a phone in your room. You saved up your $2.99 to go buy that extra long cord. Remember? 
And that cord would have to stretch from the kitchen phone, because, you know, that kitchen phone was the only phone you could talk to because they wanted to hear your conversation. And, you, and the, cord, the coil on the cord just got so stretched out, it was just straight after a while. Or it was all tangled up that you had to let the phone just hang and unravel, and you stretched out. We would talk on that phone for hours, and after a while, when you just didn't have nothing to say, you'd be like, you hang up. Nah, you hang up. Nah, you hang up. Minister Joe, you remember, don't you? You hang up. And Lord Jesus had hit the earth when they became, came out with a cordless phone. Ooh, it was deliverance on the cordless phone. The only thing is, there was only one in the house. And if you lost that puppy, you was in trouble. But today, my kids don't talk on the phone. Some of you 20-year-olds, you millennials, y'all don't talk on the phone. You can develop a whole relationship texting and Facebooking. And I like to think of my, sometimes for some of us, the relationship that we have with God, just let's, let, let's just let, allow it to start off as a text, texting relationship. Because he left us all the text, all the love notes, all the messages, all the promises, all the I love yous, all the I miss yous, all the I'm thinking about yous, all those love notes, all those affirmations, all those compliments. He left it over 2,000, over five, 6,000 years ago. So he's left us all the texts that we need. And when we text him back, all we're doing, we're just doing that when we journal, when we write, thank you, Father, for this day. When we jot down our thoughts, when we jot down those prayer requests, when we make those vision boards, when we write down those confessions, when we, we're just texting him right back, thank you. I love you too. I'm thinking about you. I miss you. It's very easy to have an intimate relationship with God. He desires a reciprocating covenant with us. So the power, the blessing of answer prayer, covenant. His name's covenant. His promises, covenant. His power, covenant. His blood, covenant. And all, when you have covenant with one another, they would cut the hands and they would shake hands with one another. And they would shake it so hard that it would, the blood would drip into a wine, a, 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 a goblet of wine. And they would mix the blood with the wine and they both would drink it. That was covenant back in the day. And when they drank it, they would exchange belts, things like that. So they would exchange their name for the, their name. So when you see those hyphens, Smith-Williams, it's because they became covenant. And when we went into covenant with God, we took on the name of Jesus. And all the names that go with that name. Amen. So who is he to you? How well do you know him? How well do you want to know him? Amen. Do you all get something from all this? Praise God. So I dare you to delve into who he is and, and, his, the, and, 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 and what, not just what he can do for you, but why he exists in your life. Why? And why do you exist in him? Why? And make it real. Make it tangible. We're living in a day and age, I mean, just this election process. If you talk to the internationals, 
it, it, it looks like a doggone game show. But if the righteous don't stand in the authority that's been given to them, it'll be shame on us. Amen. So let me declare this over your lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare over everyone that is within earshot, whether it's here at Linked Up Church or on SoundCloud, that they'll rise in the revelation of who you are. They'll walk in the fullness of the power and the authority that's been given to them in the name of Jesus. That they'll have a comforting knowledge of not just what you can do, but who you are in their lives and who they are in you. Father, you've taken the time to know each and every one of us from the wounds of our parents, Father. You know the very number of hairs on our head, Father. You know our coming ins and our going outs, Father. So cause us to rise in the understanding and the revelation and the conviction to desire to know you more. Father, I thank you that you manifest yourself in great ways over these, your people, for every ounce of obedience or every ounce of faith by which we walk so that we could be founded in faith towards you, confident in your reward to those that diligently seek you, and a light to all those that are in despair and seeking answers to questions that they do not understand. I give you glory, honor, and praise that these, your people, will be vessels of good use unto honor, pleasing unto you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen and so be it. Amen. While everyone is still in the